0: Praise the Lord and welcome to St. Paul Baptist Church, where we are convincing the unconvinced to be convinced and make disciples as we connect, lift, and inspire you. I'm Rev. Kelly Baptist, and we are so excited to have you connect with us in our power-packed TNT study experience. You can engage with our Digi-Ministers via the chat space in each of our online worship platforms. Let's study and grow together. As Dr. Robert Scott, our pastor, takes us deeper into the Word, and be sure to stay tuned after study for more information on what's happening.
1: My Redeemer sent to a rugged cross to set me free. My Savior paid my sins just to rescue me. My replacement took my place so I wouldn't have to die my provider now I have everlasting life just to know him, just to know him Jesus Christ the son of the living God just to know Just to know him, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, risen savior, rose from the dead so I could rise again. Awesome ruler, crucified, just to call me friend, hope of glory. One day I will get to see his face. I'm so grateful he loved me enough to gladly take my place. Just to know him, just to know him, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, just to know just to know him Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God Oh, how he cares for you Cares for me Oh, how he cares for you Cares for me Oh, how he cares for you Cares for me how he cares for you cares for me just to know him just to know him Jesus Christ the Son of the Living God just to know us to know him Jesus Christ the son of the living 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 Jesus Christ the son the living jesus christ the son of the living jesus christ the son of the living god just to know Just to know Him. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Just to know Him. Just to know Him. Christ, the Son of the Living God.
0: Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Scott, for your gift of song and praise as far as our Bible study is concerned. I want to say hello there. It is another Thursday. We thank God for each and every one of you joining us as far as TNT is concerned. And I'm excited to be sharing with you as far as the word of God is concerned at this particular moment. And Of course, we don't want to take for granted your ability to be here. I thank God for each and every one of you who may be calling in or who may be watching us uh, as far as streaming services are concerned. Certainly, God is great and greatly to be praised. I'm excited about today's lesson um, coming from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and we want to start reading from verse 21 through verse 33. Uh, And it's my prayer that as we go through this that we will talk about marriage and what the Bible says about marriage and deal with the issue of um, marriage as far as God's uh, word is concerned. But before we do that, we want to have a word of prayer and sense and seek the uh, teacher, uh, the Holy Spirit. To come and to illuminate our hearts and our minds and what it is that God would have for us to do. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you right now, first and foremost, to thank you for this glorious day. Thank you, oh God, for the gift of song that has been rendered through our minister of music. Thank you, God, for this wonderful opportunity to have your word being shared as far as uh, the St. Paul Church and others who may tune in uh, is concerned. We don't ever wanna take for granted, oh God, how you are still blessing us even in these trying times. So God, if you, the master teacher, will show up, teach us your precepts and let your word be a lamp to our feet and a light unto our pathway, God, show yourself mighty and show yourself strong. It is in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, we play and we claim it done. We hope and pray that those that hear this prayer will say, amen, amen. So, Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to start today's lesson on verse 21, and we will read through verse 33 and this is a huge passage of scripture and it is my prayer it is my prayer that we will uh, hopefully uh, give you some insight into the writings of Paul when it comes to to marriage I do want to just say that from the outset that when a lot of people read this passage Uh, they tend to misinterpret it, and based upon misinterpretation, they tend to misapply it. So it's my prayer that during our time of sharing, that as we go through this particular text, that you will gain gain and glean uh, a better insight and a more positive interpretation that will allow for you to do what it is that God would have for you to do so i want to be very intentional as far as our time together is concerned so starting at verse 21 where it says submitting to one another in the fear of the lord submitting to one another in the fear of the lord and then it says wives Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wife, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy, and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I am speaking, concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife, as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband all right so what i want us to do is i want us to kind of mark up this passage in a very meaningful way um that will allow for us to do hopefully and prayerfully some good deep work as far as this passage is concerned all right So in verse 21, I want you to highlight that whole phrase. We dealt with it last week. We're going to continue to deal with it this week. So highlight that whole phrase, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then I want you to circle the word submitting. I want you to circle the word submitting. Okay. All right. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I want you to circle the word submit. And I want you to draw a line from the word submitting to the word submit. All right. All right, let's continue. Um, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. I want you to highlight the phrase, for the husband is the head of the wife, and I want you to circle the word head. as Christ is also the head of the church, I want you to highlight that phrase, Christ is the head of the church. And I want you to circle the word head there. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ. Highlight that phrase, just as the church is subject to Christ. And then I want you all to circle the words is subject And as you circle the word, its subject, I want you to draw a line from its subject to the word submit. So let the wives be to her own husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. I want you to circle the word love. Just as Christ also loved the church. I want you to circle the word L-O-V-E-D, loved, and gave himself for her. Verse twenty-six that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Highlight like that whole phrase, verse twenty-six. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love, I want you to circle words, to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves, I want you to circle the word loves, his wife loves himself. I want you to circle the word loves himself. For no one hateth his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we're members of the body, of his flesh and his bones. Verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Highlight that phrase. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love, circle the word love, his own wife as to himself, and let the wife see that she respects. I want you to circle the word respect. Her husband. Now I, w- I want to start off this, this conversation because unfortunately many people in today's culture go to one of two extremities when it comes to interpreting this passage of scripture. The first extremity is that you have a group that want to maintain as far as the idea of submitting or submission, is the idea of really being a slave. Uh, That you have no rights, that you have to do everything that someone tells you to do. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is that there are people who totally disregard this passage of Scripture that deals with submission and basically says that you can't take what Paul is saying and apply it to today's culture. Because basically Paul in their view was a misogynist, highly patriarchal and disregarded the rights of women. And in his disregard for the rights of women that in today's culture, we have the right to kind of brush this text to the side and kick it to the curb and unfortunately even in today's culture there are a lot of people who would dismiss the writings of Paul particularly when it comes to how Paul wrote about slavery and how Paul wrote about wives being submissive to their husbands. And part of the problem is number one understanding culturally what was going on at that time historically, what was going on at that time, and then building a theological bridge that gets to the truth of the text. So it is my prayer today that we will be able to build that theological bridge that allows for us to properly interpret the text for today's times and apply the text. So I'm, you will not see me skirting around the issue when it comes to dealing with this idea of wives submitting to your husbands as to the Lord and how as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. I'm not going to skirt around that. We're going to deal with that in a very meaningful and a very powerful way. And it is my prayer that as we deal with that in a meaningful and powerful way, that we will come to the understanding of what this text means. All right. So what I want to do is I want to start off by talking about a couple of things. That as we look at the Apostle Paul addressing the disciples at the church of Ephesus, dealing with this idea of marriage, it is interesting to note that when the Pharisees in the Gospels come to Jesus and they ask him about the matter of divorce, Jesus doesn't deal with the matter of divorce. Jesus deals with the matter of marriage. And Paul, just as Jesus did, was addressing the idea because when it came to marriage back during that time, marriage was very loose morally. Really wasn't a lot of emphasis put on what the meaning of marriage is really all about. So back then, and unfortunately even in today's culture, marriage was nothing but a business transaction on a piece of paper. If it worked out, fine. If it didn't, you just, as the man, give the wife a writ of divorce or a piece of paper of divorce, and you move on. All right? So Jesus in the Gospels was dealing with the fact that the institution of marriage had been so debased while the idea of divorce had been highly lifted. And not much had changed during Paul's writing. So what Paul wanted to do was to deal with the concept of marriage as an institution that has been established by God. That in the writings of Genesis, particularly Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, we see that in the writings of Genesis, how after God, according to Genesis, had created Eve and brought Eve unto Adam, and Adam realized this was born of his bone, flesh of his flesh, he called a woman because she was taken out of man, The Bible says that for this reason for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother cling or in some texts cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So we got to understand that marriage is both a spiritual and sacred institution by God and Unfortunately, we see that marriage really devolves after the fall, or the coming together of a man and woman devolves after the fall. Because prior to the fall, there was no idea of man over woman, and there was no idea of woman over man. They were both complementary. They were with one another. They were equal to one another. That God did not make Eve any less than God had made Adam because Eve had always existed when God had created Adam. If we look at Eve as coming from the rib of Adam, according to the biblical text, then that means that Eve had always existed. She was just hidden. (laughs) So, as we unpack this, part of the reason that marriages are in trouble is because of sin. And one of the things that we got to understand is how the enemy has attacked every institution that God has established. Family, marriage, and the church. And how the enemy has tried to destroy what God has created. And so because the enemy tries to do that, unfortunately, we find ourselves in these hierarchical power dynamic relationships that God never intended. So I really want to deal and scrape away the veneer and get to what it is that God desires. Alright? So, one of the things that the enemy tries to do and does so well is because the devil has influence. The devil's influence causes us to have a devious interpretation of the word of God. The devil will try to change God's original intent and design so that we can feed our own fleshly desires. So when it comes to marriage, what God had originally intended has now been co-opted by the world and the culture. So when you look back in the writings of Genesis after the fall, you see that Many of the patriarchs had not only more than one wife, but they also had concubines. That wasn't God's original design, desire, or intent. But because of a devious interpretation, that stuff wound up happening and it became part of a culture. It was always God's design and intent for there to be one man to one woman. All right? Let let me say this again. One man to one woman. All right? Um, Now, I know that we live in a culture as far as same-sex marriage is concerned, but God's original design and intent was for it to be one man to one woman. Okay? That was God's original design and intent. So, as we look at God's original design and intent, we have to understand that when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're called to do all that we can to follow the word of God as we're being led by the spirit of God. All right? Now, since God's original design and intent was for one man to be with one woman, in today's culture, it will be God's design and intent, and the institution of marriage works best when you have a man that is saved getting married to a woman that is saved. That when both people have an understanding of who God is in their lives, when that man and that woman come together, then basically you're bringing reconciled people who have been reconciled to God that are now able to interact and be in relationship with each other. So this is why Paul talks about how women and men or husbands and wives should be equally yoked. Now I do know that we have people who in today's age and culture there are people who will marry somebody who may not know who Jesus Christ is in the pardon of their sins. Or they may marry someone that is of a total different religious persuasion. And in those particular marriages, while some of them may work, uh, quite a few of them do not work. All right? Now, as I continue to plot along this feel what i want you all to understand is that marriage is hard even when you are saved <laughs> even when two when when a man and a woman come into the marriage saved it is still hard by virtue of the fact that we bring different stuff from our background into the marriage all right so so it takes an understanding of who god is for us to be able to make that marriage work in a meaningful way. All right? So so let me just say, any single man or any single woman that's wanting to get married one day, you need to know what the spiritual status of the one that you're getting connected to. All right? If, If that woman or man is only going to church with you because you all are just getting married, but they don't know who Jesus Christ is and the partner of their sin, you need to be cautious and careful. I will say that, because remember, uh, don't don't be satisfied with them saying you need to check their conduct. All right, now, let me continue to drill down as far as this text is concerned, because marriage that is established by God will not function without application. From the word of God. And unfortunately, people will try to twist the truth of the word of God. All right? Um, One of the things that I want you all to understand is that, does God hate divorce? Yes. God desired that we do not get a divorce. He hates divorce. Part of the reason that God hates divorce is because God knows what it does to the persons that are going through the divorce. So God hates it because God knows what it's going to inflict upon those persons spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, relationally, and yes, even physically. All right? All right? The other thing is that we got to understand is that you got to be able to apply the word of God in a very meaningful, powerful way. In the sense that we must understand what is God's original design and intent when God allows certain words to be penned and how do we translate that into today's culture? So when some people try to interpret the scripture today and say, well, you know, God is only concerned about love, and that's all that counts. Yes, God is concerned that we love one another, but there is a love ethic and ethos that has to be appropriated and applied in those situations, and especially when it comes to marriage. So if I know the Bible or if I know the Scripture, And I'm instructed by the scripture, but I don't have the movement of the spirit in my life. Then what will wind up happening is even when it comes to marriage is not going to work properly as far as my life is concerned, because I know the word of God, but the spirit of God is not moving in my life in such a way that will allow for me to properly interpret and apply the word of God. All right. Now, let's let's get to some meaty and weighty things. And I want to talk about this submission principle. Because this is not the first time that Paul, or not the only time that Paul talks about wives submitting to their husband. He talks about it in Colossians 3.18. All right. So let's look at this assignment that Paul talks about. And I really want to unpack this. If the wife is walking in a spirit of submission, according to the word of God. Then this is an assignment that if we take Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus as scripture, then this is not an assignment created by Paul, this is something created by God that God commands the wife to submit to the leadership of her husband. But if you notice, as far as this sex is concerned, there's no qualifier connected to that idea of submission. In other words, there is no qualifier to say, as wives submit to your Christian husband. There's no qualifier saying, wives submit to your righteous husband. All right? The verse does not say that the wife ought to submit to her husband in the Lord. I've heard sisters say they would submit if their husbands were spiritual men. That's not what the Bible is saying here. The Bible says she is to submit to her own husband as if she's submitting to the Lord. So so this idea of submission deals with our accountability to Jesus. That if she loves the Lord and if she wants to please the Lord, then she submits to her husband. And it's done out of love and loyalty to first Jesus and then to her husband. So so as Christians, we can't really pick and choose which commands we're going to obey as far as proper interpretation is concerned. All right. So so in a real sense. As a wife is submitting to her husband, she is authenticating her commitment to Jesus. Now, let me really drill down on this because I'm really building this up uh, to a major point that I want to make. Because there's some difficult adjustments that some sisters have to make submitting to their husbands. It's difficult because some women, in order for them to make the adjustment, it's kind of hard because... For some sisters, when they get married, they have been so independent for a long time that it's kind of hard for them to engage in the idea of, watch this, interdependence. So before we surrender our lives to the Lord, the flesh controlled us. And after we get saved, then we have to crucify our flesh daily if we're going to try to allow for the Lord to govern us. And this is the same for the wife that when she gets married, she is releasing her independence and now engaging in interdependence with somebody else. Part of submission really is a sense of interdependence, all right? Because unfortunately, the idea of submission has garnered negativity or a negative attitude and what Paul is saying is that if you're going to do this idea of submission it should be done without a negative attitude. In other words the wife should not be saying to her husband I'm going to submit to you because the Bible told me to but I really don't want to do this because that dishonors God. So let me continue to build this case because I'm getting ready to drop something very major on you. now. Why is the wife asked to submit to the husband, or, or suggested to submit to the husband as to the Lord? Because according to Paul, the husband is the ge- delegated authority in the marriage. For as the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. In the, the Greek, the word he- head is kephael. Alright? And it's the same in the Greek for as husband is the head of the wife, Christ is the head of the church. Now, the word head in scripture refers to authority, not superiority. Let me say that again. The word head in scripture refers to authority, not superiority. Man and woman are equal in God's eyesight. Male and female are both cre- created in the image of and the likeness of God male and female bring their gifts and graces to one another and they engage in the act of co-creation with God so man is not superior to woman woman is not inferior to man woman is man is not over woman but he is the delegated authority. So for example, when we look at our society from a governmental perspective, or when we look at um, places of employment, or when we look at uh, different ideas as far as how we relate to various institutions of society, that when we delegate authority to those particular institutions, we hold them to a greater and a higher standard. Unfortunately, if I could, that's part of the problem with the police um, uh, oppression and brutality because even though they have delegated authority, some of them, not all, but some, abuse their authority in the sense that now you have people that's questioning their authority. So, if neither is superior, then why are wives told to submit? Okay? And, and what does this mean? It's, it's just an arrangement. It's an order of a household because guess what? When you have two heads of any organization, you got a monster. Okay? And unfortunately, this idea of head of household Is a byproduct of the fall. It's a byproduct of the fall. If you read in Genesis chapter three, verse 16, you will see that the writer of that text says, unto the woman, I will multiply your sorrow and your conception and your sorrow. You shall bring forth children and your desire will be to your husband and he shall rule over you. This was not God's design. But because of sin, we now have these hierarchical relationships. But even prior to that, God gave weight as far as a designated arrangement whereby man and woman are co-equal in the eyes of God. So watch this. Just as the church, the body of Christ, does not tell Christ what to do, or we are submitting to Christ, this is the idea of the wife's submission to her husband. So it is interesting to note that the example of what marriage should be like is Christ's relationship to the church. Okay? Christ's relationship to the church. Let me say it again. Christ's relationship to the church. Now, before I give up on on moving to the next point, I need to really drill down on on something because just as the church depends upon Christ for companionship and comfort, it is God's desire for a woman to be able to trust her husband for security and and for companionship. So, so before I, I, I start dealing with the husband role, let me address the dangerous actions that wives need to be careful of. And the first dangerous action deals with the wife's submission that is on one minute and off one minute. She is to submit in everything as long as it's not sinful. Okay. The second dangerous action is switching roles and responsibility. Don't think that because you make more money or that you're smarter than your husband, that this idea of husbands being head of the wife makes a shift. You may even be more spiritual than your husband, but according to the text, you're not authorized to be the head of the family. Okay? Now I know this is, this is some, some, some deep waters that I'm, I'm treading in, but, but I really believe that I'm on good biblical ground as far as this sharing. So notice what Paul says. Paul says, for the hus- husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the body. So as we go to verse 23, let's deal with the husband as the head and let's address this misunderstood status. That when God talks about the man being the head of the woman, He's not talking about ability. He's not talking about worth or competence or value or brilliance or advantage. God is talking about function and order within an organization. Let me say it again. God is talking about function and order within an organization. Because remember what I told you, if you have a uh, uh, two-headed organization, you have a monster. Now watch this. Although the husband is the designated head, we cannot overlook Ephesians 5.21, which says that there must be mutual submission in the word of God. So watch this. So the starting point of talking about marriage is not Ephesians 5.22, it's Ephesians 5.21, when it says submitting yourselves to one another In the fear of the Lord. Where there is mutual submission, the husband and the wife will honor and respect one another. All right? Let me say that again. Where there is mutual submission, the husband and wife will honor and respect one another. So, if you're going to read this right, you got to understand that the husband and wife are called to submit to each other Then the wife is called to submit to her husband Because as the husband is the head of the wife Christ is the head of the church And the husband is told to love the wife as Christ loved the church Which basically means that the husband And I know I'm getting ready to mess up some of y'all Is called to a greater love The husband is called to a greater love because what did Christ do for the church? Gave his life. What did Christ do for the church? Gave up everything. <laughs> what What did Christ do for the church? Die. The husband, within the context of a Christian marriage, while the wife is called to submit, the husband is called to a greater love So so, so let me Let me dig deeper Husbands love your wife As Christ loved the church And I want y'all to understand that the word love Here Is not eros It's not a romantic love It's not philia It's not a friendship love It's not stergo it's not a family love. It is agape. and agape love is unconditional love. It is the love that Christ had for the church. In other words, it is love as a principle, not as an emotion. See, eros is love as, a, as an emotion. Philia is love as an emotion. Stergo is love as an emotion. Agape is love as a principle. <laughs> Which means that, that when you engage in agape love, when you engage in agape love, it ain't about your feelings. It is about you making a choice. That when you, when you, when you engage in agape love, it is an unconditional love that calls you to a greater love. So when you read all throughout Ephesians This particular pericope You keep saying How the husbands are to love the wife You don't tell the wife to love the husband The husband loved the wife Agape love Just like Christ loved the church Alright Okay It's a sacrificial love It's an unconditional love watch this it, it is the husband loving the wife even when the wife don't submit <laughs> just like Christ loves the church even when we don't do everything that he tells us to do wow i know this is deep and 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 and, and, and i don't need for folks to start getting mad because you want to be stuck on submission, but you don't want to make the transition to talking about the love the man brings to the table or the husband or the love that the husband should bring to the table because guess what if the husband is loving the wife unconditionally, then the wife has no issue with submission if the husband is loving the wife even when the wife don't submit. If the husband loves the wife in a way that Christ loves the church, it calls the husband to a greater weight when it comes to love. And unfortunately, that's kind of hard for a whole lot of men to do. Because the love that Christ has for the church transforms her. The love that Christ has for the church, transfer. that he might present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, that it would be holy and without blemish. Verse 26 to 27. The problem with so many of us, we are great at seeing blemishes and spots and wrinkles and faults and frailties and failures, but when you have the love of Christ, the love of Christ looks beyond our faults, because he knows what he's transforming us to become. Because watch this. So men are to love agape their wives as their own body. For he who loveth agape his wife, loveth agape himself, for no man in his right mind hates his own flesh, but takes care of it, even as the Lord the church. A person who cuts himself, curses himself, beats himself, injures himself, we make the determination that there is something mentally off. So a man should love his wife the way he loves himself. I'm telling you now, again, the word love here is agape. It's agape. The word cherish means to hold dear and treat with warmth due to the value and worth. Okay? The word nourish means to feed, clothe, provide, nurture, look after. You cherish and nourish your body because you love it. Husbands are expected to treat their wives with warmth due to the fact they value the the wife and they feel the wife is worthy. They ought to feed the wife, clothe the wife, provide for the wife, nurture the wife, look after the wife. Because that's what Jesus does for the church. Watch this. And they ought to do that even if the wife does not, quote, submit. Ooh, I'm having fun with this I know I'm I know some of y'all out there listening to me and uh, uh I'm really wondering if I'm gonna be able to finish this yes I will I'm gonna finish this so watch this let's keep going the Lord views the church as his bride and this is why Paul used this analogy as his bride so not only the church The bride of Christ, but the church is also the body of Christ. Okay, the body of Christ. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a member of the body of Christ. So the church body is connected to Christ. Which means that we have the same source of life. We're controlled by the same spirit. We're washed by the same blood. We're ruled by the same head who is Christ. But Paul then deals with this step that is taken by the couple. And it's a marriage step. For this reason, shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife to become one flesh? That word joined means to be glued together. It is the idea of assimilation. It is the idea of two people becoming one flesh. One name, one aim, one goal, and that is ultimately to bring God glory. Now, Paul also calls marriage a mysterious symbol as it relates to the church. So when people see marriage, a marriage made in heaven, they also see the mystery of Christ and the church. What are the elements of marriage that are seen in the church? Submission to Christ. Sacrifice by Christ, love of church for Christ and Christ for the church. Now, let me wrap up, and I pray that this will bless you real good. So Paul, at verse 33, tells the wife and the husband, let every one of you in particular so love his wife as itself, and the wife see that she reverence or watch this, respects her husband. All right, verse 33 says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects, reverences her husband. If the husband loves the wife unconditionally, Submission and reverence for the wife is so easy. And watch this. Because this is where I really want to blow your mind. And close on this. It is interesting to note that in this particular text, if you notice, Paul does not tell the wife to love the husband. And if you notice, Paul does not tell the husband to respect the wife tells the wife to respect the husband. He tells the husband to love the wife. I close on this. I close on this. I close on this. And this is going to blow your mind and it's going to bless you real good. It's interesting to note that Paul does not tell the husband respect the wife and Paul does not tell the wife to love the husband. Why? Because for the wife love is easy. Women have no problem loving unconditionally. But the idea of respect is somewhat challenging because that's not a natural language. For men, the idea that you love me is that you respect me. So men like the idea of respect But the idea of engaging in unconditional love is rather challenging. So it's interesting to note that Paul writes in a way that he wants us to understand. I'm asking you to do what is counterintuitive so that you can speak the language of the other person so that you can get what God would have for you to have out of the relationship known as marriage. So that's why husbands ought to love their wives because that takes the spirit for you to do that. And that's why wives ought to respect their husbands because it takes the spirit in order for you to do that. And when you have a man that unconditionally loves his wife, the wife will have no issue with submission because then when the husband unconditionally loves the wife, he will then, too, submit to the wife, just as the wife submits to the husband, because they then go back to Ephesians 5.21, when we mutually submit ourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. Hot dogs! I hope you sure got that. And I pray that you have a better understanding of what this text means. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and before we do that, if you feel led to be a blessing to this church, um, you can give electronically through the app called Givelify, or you can go to our website and give, or you can mail in your offering to the church, or you can drop your offering off at the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28205. Um, But it's my prayer that you have been blessed and hopefully have a different understanding of what this text means and be able to apply this text properly. Well, let's close out in prayer. God, we come and we say thank you. We thank you for the institution of marriage. And your original design and intent for marriage. And as we come, oh God, and we engage in this teaching this insight about marriage my prayer is that people will be amenable to the spirit and the insights that have been shared today that this idea of headship that this idea of submission is not about control it's about delegated authority but even more importantly than that it's about us being in relationship with you, as in we're in relationship with each other, and ultimately it's about us realizing that we're called to submit to one another, to respect one another. Empower husbands to love their wives unconditionally. Enable wives to submit to their husbands And enable marriage to be a physical example, embodiment of what Christ's relationship is to the church. God, as we close out in this prayer, we lift up all the turmoil that is going on in this country and this world. Particularly here in the United States as we deal with the issues of race and police brutality. God, not all policemen and policewomen are bad. As a matter of fact, an overwhelming majority of them do the right things. An overwhelming majority of them serve the community with diligence and with faithfulness and goodness. God helped root out the few bad apples. God, when it comes to the issue of race, We pray that you will help this country, even this world. To start realizing that there's some major repentance that needs to be done. Particularly to black people and brown people across this country and across this globe. Because we too have been made in your image. And your likeness. God, we lift up those that are sick and shut in right now, those that are in hospital particularly, even our executive minister, Dr. Redmond, and others who are dealing with loss and grief as far as death is concerned. God, apply your balm of Gilead to our sin-sick souls. And then, God, make us more receptive to hear your word through teaching and preaching on Sunday. It is in the name of your son, Jesus, the Christ, we pray. And in his name, we claim it done. Amen. God bless you all. May heaven smile upon you and may God's peace be yours. Miss you all immensely. Uh, I can't wait until we can come back into the sanctuary as a family. But until then, continue to check us out on our streaming platforms and on our teleconference calls. And may this word seep into your heart. God bless. Take care. For his presence. I thank God for his power. I thank God for his... Don't
1: believe. I don't believe that he brought me this far to leave me. You ought to tell somebody...